following is a sermon preached at Grace Church of Orange, California. Join us now as we go verse by verse through God's inspired, inerrant, infallible word. We are going to be in the book of Job today. If you want to start turning over there with me, uh, we'll be in Job chapter 28. And as we're both turning over there, um, you may or may not have noticed that uh, most of our elders are not here this week. They are at uh, an elders retreat this weekend where they are uh, praying and asking God for wisdom about the direction of the church. And so um, as we get to Job 28, we'll read it and we'll pray this morning, but I also want to pray for them and just encourage you as you think of it, pray for our elders. Um, I've, as a younger person in ministry, I've gotten to spend the last five or six years kind of seeing the, the backside of church. And um, I can honestly say that they're not perfect by any means, but God has blessed us with the elders that he's put in this church. And so pray for them, thank God for them. Um, when you think of it, just ask that you would give them wisdom and insight. And so we're gonna, we're gonna do that this morning, but uh, once you are there in Job chapter 28, uh, if you are able to stand, please do with me. And we're gonna read this, this whole chapter together and that's where we'll be this morning. Job chapter 28, starting in verse one. Surely there is a mine for silver and a place for gold that they refine. Iron is taken out of the earth and copper is smelted from the ore. Man puts an end to darkness and searches out the farthest limit, the ore, in gloom and deep darkness. He opens shafts in a valley away from where anyone lives, but they are forgotten by travelers. They hang in the air far away from mankind. They swing to and fro. As for the earth, out of it comes bread, but underneath it is turned up as by fire. Its stones are the place of sapphires, and it has the dust of gold. The path, that path no bird of prey knows, and the falcon's eye has not seen it. The proud beasts have not trodden it, the lion has not passed over it. Man puts his hand to the flinty rock and overturns mountains by the roots. He cuts out channels in the rocks, and his eye sees every precious thing. He dams up the streams so that they do not trickle, and the thing that is hidden he brings out to light. But where shall wisdom be found? And where is the place of understanding? Man does not know its worth, and it is not found in the land of the living. The deep says, it is not in me. And the sea says, it is not with me. It cannot be bought for gold, and silver cannot be weighed as its price. It cannot be valued in the gold of Ophir, in precious onyx or sapphire. Gold and glass cannot equal it, nor can it be exchanged for jewels of fine gold. No mention shall be made of coral or of crystal. The price of wisdom is above pearls. The topaz of Ethiopia cannot equal it nor can it be valued in pure gold. From where then does wisdom come? And where is the place of understanding? It is hidden from the eyes of all living and concealed from the birds of the air. Abaddon and death say, we've heard a rumor of it with our ears. God understands the way to it and he knows its place. For he looks to the ends of the earth and sees everything under the heavens. When he gave to the wind its weight and apportioned the waters by measure, when he made a decree for the rain and a way for the lightning of the thunder, then he saw it and declared it. He established it and searched it out. And he said to man, behold, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. And to turn away from evil is understanding. And Lord, we ask that today you would give us wisdom and you would give us understanding. You alone possess wisdom wisdom and we need it from you to understand this life and to live it well so please open our eyes to the truth in your word make it clear make it penetrating to our hearts lord help us to know you and to love you better we want to be more like christ and so we need your spirit to work on us this morning 
please do that. Please also be with our elders as they finish up their meeting this weekend, Lord. I pray that you would give them insight and wisdom, that individually you would make them men of godliness and character and humility and patience and kindness and all the things that set a good example for your church. Father, we, we all want to strive to be mature in the faith. And so please, God, uh, make that a reality among us so that as we go out into the world, we would bring blessing, we would bring the truth of the gospel wherever you send us. We pray this all for Jesus' glory and in his name. Amen. Well, as we get into uh, Job chapter 28 today, I want to start with a little bit of a silly thought experiment for you. So imagine that someone comes to your door and they ring the doorbell and you go open it um, and you can tell immediately that they're going to be selling you something. And they are selling magic pills. These magic pills have these qualities. If you take them, you will immediately understand how to navigate all the ethical dilemmas of your life and bring about justice and equity and fairness and righteousness, all of those little times of what exactly should I do here? What's the right thing? You will know if you take these pills. If you take these pills, you will have practical know-how about how to organize your life, how to organize your finances, how to get wealth, how to make decisions and things that aren't necessarily moral or immoral, but you need to make the right decision. If you take these pills, your health will improve. You'll even sleep better. If you take these pills, what, what we say is your EQ will go up, your people skills, your relational skills. When you interact with people, you'll understand what's going on and how to, how to function in that way. Also, you take these pills, and even when you do everything right and things go wrong, you'll have a grid to think through that. You'll have an understanding of, of why that happens and how that happens, and maybe you don't know why, but you understand it, and you have a way to think through it. These pills help you skillfully navigate every aspect of your life. Now, those of you that have lived long enough would have shut the door halfway or earlier, because if it's too good to be true, if it sounds too good to be true, it is. It is. But we have to acknowledge that we do long for these things. We do long to, to understand this life, how it fits together, how I'm supposed to live in it. How do I make these ethical decisions, these practical decisions, these things like, where do I go to college? For some of you younger people, things like, how do I handle this uh, estate planning after my, after my mother or father has passed away? How do I work through sibling issues? How do I work through... Um, interpersonal issues, how do I handle all of these different aspects of life? And it just feels like, if you're anything like me, um, I was telling first service, when I left the house this morning, I was laughing because it just had exploded over the last couple days. There's stuff like caked on the counters, the kids' room is a mess, the garage is packed with stuff, and it's just like, I, I can't get a grip on this. It's just always falling apart all the time. And, and we feel like that both practically, we feel like that spiritually, we feel like that in many aspects of our life, and we long to, to understand and be able to bring order to our lives. And the thing is, we know that these magic pills don't exist. But we do know that the Bible has something very similar, and it's called wisdom. Now, we know sometimes wise investments go south, sometimes wise people suffer, sometimes you do everything right and it turns out poorly. And the Bible accounts for that. Job and Ecclesiastes talk about that. And we'll, we'll get into this. But, but 
everything I listed in that first magic pill section is actually something the Bible links with wisdom. It's something the Bible links with wisdom. And so this concept of wisdom is what helps us navigate and live this life skillfully and understand that even, even though we might do everything right, it is a cursed and a broken world and things will still go wrong. And so the, what we're going to do today as we move into to Job chapter 28 is, uh, I think Connor mentioned it, but next week, Pastor Mike is going to be starting the book of Ecclesiastes. And, and I thought, if we're going to be in Ecclesiastes for a while, it, it would be helpful to lay a foundation of talking about wisdom. What is wisdom? Because Ecclesiastes is part of this kind of Old Testament genre of literature called wisdom literature. And the main books linked with that are Job, Proverbs, and Ecclesiastes. You could, there's more, but, but those three are the main core of wisdom literature. And so what we're going to do today is try to, to start thinking about what wisdom is and how the Bible describes it so that as we move into Ecclesiastes, we'll have a good framework for kind of understanding what's going on. So we're going to ask and answer three questions this morning. What is wisdom? Where is wisdom? And how do I get wisdom? What is wisdom? Where is wisdom? How do I get wisdom? So we, we're first, this, this question of where is wisdom is really what Job 28 majors on. But we're going to start here with what is wisdom. Let, let's get a working definition before we move forward. And the thing about asking what is wisdom is if we all gave, a, you know, raise your hand and give a definition of wisdom, we would get 150 different answers to that question. Everybody has a definition of what wisdom is. And I asked around a little bit this week, and here's some of what I heard. Wisdom is not just knowing, but being able to do what you know you should do. Okay. Wisdom, I heard, was applying knowledge to life. Also good. Some people take wisdom to, to mainly be kind of that, that book of Proverbs that gives practical tips on how to live. Practical tips on, on how, to, how to navigate life. Some people approach wisdom as this thing that helps with decision making. Wisdom is this tool that helps when I have a fork in the road, which way do I go? That's what wisdom is. Other people would, would think back to, if you remember Solomon, the, the pinnacle story about his wisdom. He's brought this, this baby, and the two women are fighting over the baby, and he comes up with this ingenious solution. Cut the baby in half and give half to each woman. And the real mom says, don't do that, give her the baby. At which point we know she's the real mom because she cared for the baby. Ingenious, ingenious solution. And so some people think wisdom is this ability to problem solve in these clever and unique ways. And then lastly, some people would think of wisdom in terms of understanding how life works. You might think about the book of Job. When things go wrong, when there's pain, when there's death, how do we understand those things and understand how they work? And some people would, would characterize wisdom in that way. Now here's the thing. All of those capture an aspect of wisdom. All of those are right in a sense. They capture something, but maybe not the whole picture. I want to look at some biblical examples here and, and kind of hang some, some hooks and then we'll try to bring it all together. So you can turn with me if you want to Proverbs chapter 3. Often when the Bible talks about wisdom, you don't have to turn. We're just going to go there real quick. But if you just really want to see it in your own Bible, Proverbs 3, verse 19. When the Bible talks about wisdom, one aspect that it emphasizes, and this is just one example, 
is God's creation of the world was done through wisdom. It says, the Lord by wisdom founded the earth. By understanding, he established the heavens. So on one hook here, we have, we have God's wisdom is displayed as he creates the world in the way that he created it. He used wisdom. Second kind of area to think about, and this is on the other side of the spectrum. In Exodus, people who worked on the tabernacle and were able to do fabric work or metal work in a very skilled way, they're described with the same word, wise. They were wise in metalworking or in fabric weaving, you could say. So that's kind of a second thing we need to take into account. Then we have Solomon's skill. We just discussed this one, Solomon's ability to solve kind of ethical problems. That's one part of wisdom as well. We know also from Proverbs that there's an ethics and a morality portion that the person who is wise turns away from evil, but the fool plunges headlong into sin. We know that there's another angle here. Proverbs talks about the wise person. They talk about observing the ant and learning how to work hard, have a, a strong work ethic. You also have what you could maybe call people skills, where it talks about the, the, uh, the fool's words are like sword thrusts, but the wise person measures their words. It says the wise man's words are like a fountain of life. There's this ability in relationships to deal with, with justice and kindness, what we might call EQ or people skills nowadays. You see how broad that is? That's hard to put an umbrella over all those things. And then there's even one more thing. We could list, go into these a lot more, but I just want to touch on this. The one other thing that is often brought out in, in wisdom literature is these links with creation and specifically with man's purpose. If you remember, God created man in his own image. He says, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and do what? Subdue it, rule over it. Yes, man is intended to rule over the earth, extending God's rule as, as God's representative, to show God's justice, his kindness, his goodness on the earth. And has any person been able to do that well? N not except Jesus. No, no, we haven't. And, and this link, and bringing all these together, I, I want to try to, I'm going to say it lots of different ways, but trying to put an umbrella over all these kind of verses and bring them all together, it seems that wisdom... Wisdom is tied to teaching us how to fulfill God's intention for who we were made to be. Wisdom is the skill. Honestly, the most, the most literal definition carryover into English of the word wisdom in Hebrew is expertise or skill. It's becoming an expert at life, becoming skillful in how to live in God's, God's view. Here, here's kind of my full definition, and then I'll say it other ways to maybe try to, try to come at it from different angles. Wisdom is understanding how God designed the world and the skill of living in line with God's design. Wisdom is understanding how God designed the world and it is the skill of living in line with God's design. Let me say it some other ways. Wisdom is the skill of living well. Wisdom is the skill in living in line with how God, God made things. Wisdom is expertise at for fulfilling God's purpose for humanity. Wisdom is the ability to understand life and live it masterfully. Wisdom, and here, if you're a, if you're a thinker or, you, you know, this is, in my mind, this last one is the most technically accurate, but, but I, maybe not as helpful immediately. But uh, wisdom is discerning the appropriate order of reality 
and bringing things into alignment with that order. And I don't wanna go off too crazy on this, but just for a second. You, you, God created the world in wisdom. He understood the appropriate order for reality and he enacted it. And now you go back to the Solomon example and it, just to quickly think about this, you have essentially with this mom and the, or the two claiming to be mom and the baby, a dislocation of how things should be. And Solomon's wisdom was to rightly order reality the way it should be, bring the mom back with the baby. There's this idea of order and God's design in the world and bringing things into that order, speaking words that fit with the way God has designed reality, living in light of reality. And so our, our definition for today, we're just gonna stick with, I think this one is most helpful for us specifically. Wisdom is understanding how God designed the world and the skill of living in line with God's design. Does that make sense? I'm getting less nods than first service. Yes? There's, a, there's like half of the people in first hour too, so it's even doubly concerning. Uh, here's a couple examples. Maybe from the, from the silly to the very serious. They don't tell you when you become a pastor, especially of the junior high group, that wisdom is a very high uh, gift that you need. Because every week, almost every week, we play a game. And anytime you play a game with junior hires, this situation inevitably arises. Okay, so I grabbed it first, and then he ran over this way, and then my friend did a triple backflip, which got him into the safe zone first, and they all think they're right, and there's five people with five different stories, and you've got to administer junior high justice. <laughs> you've got to have the wisdom to figure out, what do we do here? And, and sometimes people really, the, the kids feel it, like, I want it to be fair. So on a silly side, that, that actually is an example of, of what wisdom calls, or what calls for wisdom. And then all the way on the other side, you have, wisdom gives us the skill to understand when, when death or when suffering or when pain comes, how do I process this? Or how do I walk alongside someone else? When do, when do I keep my mouth shut and be quiet? What do I say? When do I say it? That from, from all, wisdom covers all realms of life and teaches us to live skillfully in light of how God has designed this world and designed us. <clears throat> so that is what wisdom is. Now, to this second question, where is wisdom? Where is wisdom? Kind of an interesting question, where is wisdom? And this is where we're gonna get into Job, and specifically Job 28. If you know the book of Job, uh, you know that it starts pretty, pretty easy to follow what's going on, and then you start getting into these debates with the friends, and, and maybe it trails off in terms of understanding or comprehensibility at that point. But what happens, just to summarize it, Job is set up to take off all the easy answers from the table. There are no easy answers in the book of Job because Job is presented at the beginning as upright, fearing the Lord and turning from evil. Not sinless, but upright. He does what is right, he turns from evil, and, and, and God calls the heavenly court to session. Satan comes, and it's God that points out Job. He says, have you seen my servant Job? And Satan brings this kind of accusation against God. Does he fear God for nothing? Here's the idea, and this was the whole religious system of the ancient Near East. You do something for the gods, they do something for you. You give sacrifices, they keep your crops growing. You give more sacrifices, they give you greater wealth. It's a give and take. Good people get good, bad people get, get bad things. It, it's a give and take situation. And, and Satan is saying, Job doesn't really love you, God. He just loves the stuff that you give him in return for what he does. So God says, okay, you wanna play that game? Let's play that game. Takes away all of the health, all of his wealth, all of uh, his family, except for his wife. And, and Job is left asking, 
why? He worships, he falls to the ground, he worships, but he asks in chapter three, why? And so his friends come, and what, what you get all the way up through chapter 27 is the friends and, and Job really trying to figure out what is going on. What, how does wisdom teach us to understand what's going on here? And you go through these cycles, and they just run out of steam as you start to get to chapter 27, until at the end, one friend has six verses, and another friend just has nothing to say. They just run out of steam, because Job is saying, God is righteous, and I'm pretty sure that I did the right thing, so maybe the whole good people get good and bad people get bad, maybe that's not right, but I can't figure it out. The friends say, good people get good, bad people get bad, God is righteous, Job, you must have sinned. There's this triangle, and somebody, something's got to give here, and, and they just can't figure it out. Now, we know, as the reader, why can't they figure it out? What can they not see at the beginning of the book? No one can see into heaven. No one can see into heaven, and so they can't figure it out with human wisdom. And so let's get into Job 28. Job has this moment of clarity in Job 28. He has this moment of clarity, and what we're going to see here Verses 1 through 11, he starts to talk about man's great accomplishments. So let's, let's look here. Verse 1, surely there is a mine for silver. He's going to talk about how man can mine. This was a technologically amazing thing at the time of Job, kind of around the time of Abraham, most likely. They can mine gold and refine it. They take iron out of the earth and they smelt the ore. Man puts an end to darkness, searches out to the furthest limit. The idea in the first few verses is the depth that man can go to get valuable things, the depth he goes to, and the, the ingenuity of his mind. He opens shafts in a valley away from where anyone lives. They're forgotten by travelers. They hang in the air, unless you think that they were uh, not advanced at all. This is, a, this is a pulley system that drops you down into a mine that goes deep into the earth. This is advanced technology. It, it, as for the earth, and they understood geology, out of it comes bread. You get what you need in, in terms of crops, but underneath, it's turned up as by fire. Sounds like they were going pretty deep. Its stones are the places of sapphires, and it has dust of gold. That path no bird of prey knows, and the falcon's eye has not seen it. The birds that can see everything on earth, they can't see into this depth that man has gone. The proud beasts have not trodden it. The lion has not passed over it. The king of all the land animals, he's got nothing on the technological advancements of man and the depths that man can go to to get valuable things. Verse 9, we start talking about the breadth of what man can do. He puts his hand to the flinty rock and overturns mountains by the roots. He cuts out channels in the rock and his eye sees every precious thing. He dams up the streams so that they do not trickle and the thing that is hidden he brings to light. This is just Job saying, this is amazing what man can do to get valuable things. He, he, the depth and the breadth and the technological advancement and man, you could talk about this in our day, couldn't you? You could talk about, if, if Job wrote this today, I'm thinking he'd be looking at space and rockets and all of the incredible surgical procedures and medicine and the robotics and the machinery and the supercomputer that we call an iPhone. Airplanes, cars, our understanding of the world. I think about uh, chemistry and physics and all of the different ways that we've uh, increased our understanding. You think of the internet and the explosion of information in the last 40 years. And yet, and yet, verses 12 through 19 were true then and they're true today. But where shall wisdom be found? And where is the place of understanding? For all the advancements, for all the grandeur, is man able to figure out this life? No, look around. 
Look around. Is the world able to figure out and understand how this world is designed and how to live skillfully in light of God's design? No. They're, not, they're simply not able. Man does not know its worth. He either doesn't count wisdom as worthy or he's not able to, to actually uh, figure out the value of it because it's so valuable. It's not found in the land of the living. The deep says it's not in me and the sea says it's not with me. The idea is what we would call the forces of nature don't even understand it. It cannot be bought for gold and silver cannot be weighed as its price. It cannot be valued in the gold of Ophir. That's the, a very special, unique type of gold in precious onyx or sapphire. Gold and glass cannot equal it, nor can it be exchanged for jewels of fine gold. No mention shall be made. Don't even talk to me about coral, crystal, with the price of wisdom is above pearls. The topaz of Ethiopia, the rarest of things, cannot equal it in value, nor can it be valued in pure gold. For all man's accomplishments, man has failed to find wisdom. He's failed to find God's wisdom. And I think, I, I want to just step aside for one second before we move on. I think there's a good warning in, in, in this passage for us. Uh, any of you heard the, the word zeitgeist? Maybe. It means, it's a German word that means like the spirit or the mood that defines a period of time. The defining kind of feel of a time period. And I think in our time period, with all of the technological advancements, as believers, we need to hold two things in, in tension that these verses kind of bring out. First, technology is a blessing. It really is a blessing. Your iPhone is a blessing. Computers are a blessing. Medicine and surgery is a blessing. Those are good advancements are a good blessing from the Lord. They're a gift. And yet, we want to be wary because, not that the things in themselves are dangerous, but the, the, the zeitgeist, the, the spirit and mood of our time period obsesses and puts us on this pedestal as if to say we're the pinnacle of society. We're the height of where society is reached. Look at us. Look at how great we are. The, my mind goes to two places, and you can see it all over, but, but the Super Bowl and the um, what is, uh, New Year's Eve. We usually have the TV on somewhere or something. You know, and you see these, and you can just feel it if you're watching for it. And you can see it in other places, too, if you're looking for it. But the spirit and mood of our time is this self-satisfied, self-aggrandizing, look at, look at what we've done. Look at the advancements. And so I think we need to, as Christians, utterly reject that. And we'll get to this when we talk about fear of the Lord, the humility to, to say we want to reject that, that spirit of this world and this age, and yet hold that, yes, Technology is a great blessing. It really, truly is. And so Job now comes to the real answer to this second question we have, where is wisdom? Where is it? Where do we find it? How do we get it? He says, from where then does wisdom come? Verse 20, and where is the place of understanding? It's hidden from the eyes of all the living and concealed from the birds of the air. Abaddon and death say, we've heard a rumor of it with our ears. And now verse 23, both God and he are put at the front of the sentence to hammer this. God understands the way to it. He knows its place. Where is wisdom? It's with the Lord. It's with the Lord and nowhere else. No other way will we come to understand how this life works, how to live within it, how to be the people we were designed to be, except if God explains it. And before, before we move on to this third question of how, uh, how do I get wisdom, I just want to mention how profound this is in Job right here. Because 
from the vocabulary that's used and some other, there's many reasons why scholars think that Job was actually written first of all the books in the Bible. Obviously, Genesis talks about things that happened before, but the actual writing of the book of Job was the first, and it serves as sort of an introduction to Scripture, to why you need Scripture. And what's so interesting here, we, we see that no human method of investigation can, can make sense of this life and can make sense of what is going on unless God speaks. Job will never understand what's going on because he can't see into heaven. He doesn't know what actually transpired in heaven, so he can't ever know unless someone from heaven explains life. And that's the whole point of this section in Job 28. We can't have the wisdom to understand life unless God reveals it to us. And lo and behold, look at what we hold in our hand. The introduction to scripture says you need scripture because you can't understand life any other way unless he speaks and explains it to you. And that is what scripture is. It is, it is the trove of wisdom to understand how God made this world, who we were designed to be, how to live in it, God understands the way to it. He knows its place. So the answer to where is wisdom is it's with the Lord. And it's with the Lord because he is all-powerful, all-knowing, and he designed reality. Look at verse 24. For he looks to the ends of the earth and sees everything under the heavens. The birds, yeah, they fly over and they see something, but God sees it all in one moment, at one time, all of reality, all of the universe in his mind presently, and he rules over it. He's omniscient. And when he gave to the wind its weight and apportioned the waters by measure, when he made a decree for the rain and a way for the lightning of the thunder, then he saw it and declared it. He established it and searched it out. When we do research and scientists figure out how lightning comes to the ground and why sometimes it goes up or down or whatever it does, it's, it's crazy. They're just discovering what God put in design long, long, long ago. He designed it. He made it work the way that it works. And so he knows how to understand it and live skillfully. So now we turn and we ask, okay, this sounds great. I want to understand life. I want to know how to live. I want to live skillfully in this world in, in light of eternity, in light of who God is. How do I get it? How do I get it? How do I get wisdom? And verse 28 answers the question. And he, God, and God said to man, behold, listen up, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. Step one, start here, don't pass go, don't collect $200. The starting place for understanding this life and your place in it and how to live skillfully in the role you've been given in every aspect of your life. Step one, fear the Lord. Fear the Lord. Now, that just begs the question, what is fear of the Lord? What does that look like? Let's flesh that out, let's talk about it. So, the fundamental attitude of our heart at rock bottom in our relationship to the Lord is, is whatever this fear of the Lord is. And you'll often hear people talk about, this is, this is awe, this is wonder, this is amazement, it's, it's submission, it's reverence. I think all of those are good, and all of those, kind of like we said earlier with wisdom, all of those capture aspects of it. But the thing is, Job uses the word fear. And if you go into the Hebrew Bible and you look at all the other times that this word is used, it means fear. 
If you want to get real fancy, you could say it means to be afraid. <laughs> There's just not a whole lot of way around it. A few examples uh, from both the old and then we'll, we'll come to the new as well, but uh, it's the fear that is listed in Exodus 9.20. God warns the Egyptians that a plague is coming on their livestock. And it says, whoever feared the word of the Lord among the servants of Pharaoh hurried his slaves and his livestock into the houses. They took what God said seriously. They believed it and they, they, they lived in light of it. I think in Matthew, this is maybe, I, I think, the best descriptor of what fear of the Lord is. Matthew 10, 28, Jesus says, Do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. I, I don't want to soften that. I don't want to soften what Jesus said. Fear means fear. Fear means standing before, of course it's referential, of course it's awe. It, it's the feeling of being before the Grand Canyon. It's the feeling of being in the ocean when the waves are 30 feet high. It, it's the fear of being completely not in control. But what, what I also want us to realize is when, do you remember later in Job, God comes in and, and he questions Job, just pummels him with these questions? It's not, the, it's not that fear is simply, Job, be quiet. There's an aspect of that. It's Job, be quiet and trust me. At the rock bottom, it is, it is Lord, you are God, you are king. You, it's Moses with the burning bush. Take off your shoes. As a friend of mine in seminary says, get low and stay low before the Lord. That's fear of the Lord. Get low and stay low before him, face to the ground. And the thing is, too, you want to soften it by saying, right, right, we fear because he's powerful and he's strong, but he's good. Now, that's obviously true, but the problem is, if you just step back and think about yourself, apart from the Lord, your natural human self, the fact that he's good doesn't soften it. It makes it worse because a good, righteous God, in relation to evil, he a good righteous God to be good punishes evil. And so if I'm in rebellion against him in my natural state, the fact that he's good doesn't soften fear, it just sharpens it. Now we know that because of Christ, because of God's mercy and his grace, his kindness, we can stand before him with joy and with, with great joy and boldness and confidence but we'll never feel that joy to its full depth unless we feel on the other side to its full depth that, that we have nothing to add here. I, I have nothing to give here. I, I, don't, uh, I don't do song lyrics very often in sermons. It's a very pastory thing to do, read songs. But I'm gonna do it today. Uh, this is, this is, I just, these lyrics are helpful in understanding fear of the Lord. Um, this song is based off Martin Luther's last words, which were, this is true, we are beggars all. Uh, and, and the song reads, all you great men of power, you who boast of your feats, politicians and entrepreneurs, can you safeguard your breath in the night while you sleep? Keep your heart beating steady and sure? As you lie in your bed, does the thought haunt your head that you're really rather small? If there's one thing I know in this life, we are beggars all. All you champions of science and rulers of men, can you summon the sun from its sleep? Does the earth seek your counsel on how fast to spin? Can you shut up the gates of the deep? 
Don't you know that all things hang as if by a string or the darkness, poised to fall? If there's one thing I know in this life, we are beggars all. All you big shots that swagger with stride and conceit, did you devise how your frame would be formed? And it goes on, there's, there's more, but I think that gives us this picture of get low and stay low before the Lord. That is step one in understanding this life and how it works. One, one last verse to, to bring up here. Isaiah 66, 2. God speaking, all these things my hand has made, everything my hand has made. And so all these things came to be, declares the Lord. But this is the one to whom I will look. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. When's the last time you were trembling in your, your morning devotions with your cup of coffee? It's, it's that type of taking the Lord seriously in all that he is and loving and trusting and enjoying. Before we wrap up, I, the last thing I want to draw your mind to, we're, we're talking from Job, we're talking the Old Testament and those who feared the Lord, by the way, just to not ignore this last phrase, if you fear the Lord, if you want to know if you're fearing the Lord, just look at the next phrase. And to turn away from evil is understanding. If, if the way you think and your fundamental attitude towards the Lord leads you to turn away from evil, you're, you're pointed in the right direction. And, and in the Old Testament, those who feared the Lord, those who were turning away from evil, they were looking forward and hoping towards the Savior. Now we stand on the opposite side of the cross. And what the New Testament makes very clear, Paul says this quite a bit, that, that the ultimate display of God's wisdom was at the cross. And that now it says, in Christ are hidden all treasures of wisdom and knowledge. If you fear the Lord, if you want to be a wise person, it starts by trusting Christ. It starts by realizing that at the cross, God's infinite wisdom is displayed as the one who can remain just himself and take unjust people and justify them and bring them together with him. His infinite wisdom is put on display at the cross. And so if you want to understand this life, you will never understand this life. You will never know how to live with skill in God's sight unless first that fear immediately leads you to put your trust in the Messiah, Jesus and to follow him, and to love him, and to delight in him. And if you don't, you will never get this life. It will never make sense. Even if you have some form of worldly wisdom, some understanding that seems to make sense, and it might even work to get you wealth, or to get you whatever else you want, but it will not, in the end, make sense of everything. In that case, you really do need to fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Because those that do not trust in Christ are on that path. And so wisdom from a New Testament perspective is summed up in Jesus Christ. You want to be a wise person? Know him, follow him, trust him. He is God's wisdom put on display. And as we follow him, we learn how to live this life with skill in God's sight. So if you take one thing away from this morning, if you want to be a wise person, to live with understanding of how God set this world up and how you are to live within it, get low and stay low before the Lord. Fear him, trust him, love him, and he will make our paths straight. Amen? Amen. Father, we thank you that you have opened your mouth and spoken 
And because of that, and because you preserved it in scripture, you even had it translated into a language that we can understand. Because of that, we can get wisdom from you. We, we need you. We're dependent on your spirit to make us wise, to, to help us know how to live, Lord. I think about uh, everyone here as they go back to work this week. I pray that you would give them wisdom. As the moms go back to dealing with children, that you would give them wisdom. As we open our Bibles and read and pray and, and share the gospel, wherever we go, Lord, make us people who are skillful at living in light of how you have made this world and where it is headed and who you are and who we are. Lord, we want to get low and stay low before you. Humble us so that we would delight most in you. We worship you and exalt you and we pray this all in the name of your Son. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more information about Grace, please visit our website at graceorange.org.